Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Rachel Kadanis. Rachel's an author, speaker, and consultant who provides encouragement to those who are suffering a loss or setback. Overcoming her own adversity following the sudden death of her husband led her to develop and publish resources about how to support grief and loss in the workplace. Rachel's presented nationally for 20 years on all aspects of living with loss. She's the author of Grief in the Workplace, a comprehensive guide for being prepared, and the best-selling Living with Loss One Day at a Time. And her most recent book, um, just just came out, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time, What to Do with Yours or Your Loved One's Personal Possessions. She's published numerous articles and blogs, reported, recorded many podcasts, presented a thousand programs, and has appeared on Good Morning America. And she's available for speaking appearances, educational programs, interviews, and community outreach. I can vouch for the fact that she's very authentic, down-to-earth messages really connect when when we talk together. It's it's her second visit, and I'm look, really excited about talking about her new book. You can find out more about her at rachelkadanas.com. That's K-O-D-A-N-A-Z.com. Welcome, Rachel. Well, I'm so excited to be with you today. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, I'm 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 very excited too, and it's uh, it's interesting because we share a kind of long range grief perspective because both of our spouses died quite a long time ago, uh, and I think that's relevant because look look what else came out of you know there were those things that originally changed your direction, and now here's another piece that of course does still relate to your loss. Um, I've since we talked last last written a novel that relates to my loss. You know, we it keeps unfolding over a lifetime. Yes, always. And I think every time I go out and do something new, or any time I create something new, or interview something new, I learn so much about myself. And people always say, "Why are you still doing this?" And it's because I can, and I'm growing, and I'm helping others. And like you, I really love the interaction with the survivors. Yeah, I I feel uh you know part of what I love about doing this show is when death is or any kind of big loss is in the conversation uh they tend to be deep conversations, don't they? Which so, I find really satisfying. I call them real conversations. You know, I I don't want to give a percentage, but there's some people out there that will never talk about death and loss. And the ones that do want to talk about death and loss, I really love what they have to say and their introspection and their thoughts and how we get to where we are and why we get to where we are and what happens behind people's front doors. So all in all, it's just like you said, there's a lot of different perspectives and there's a lot of learning to be had. Yes, and getting getting around to your book in particular, which I I found really um, helpful. I have my own, as we I guess all do, uh, my own particular or quirky uh, struggles with stuff. 
<laughs> no, some of which are grief related, some of which probably aren't. But uh, I really found it useful the way that you talked about it. Um, but let's just start out at the beginning because I uh, I appreciated that the practical suggestions in your book were later on in the book and what you first did was really talk about how our relationship to possessions um, changes and what possessions really symbolize I guess I would say Um, can you say more about that so it was interesting I'm glad you brought that up Um, I often skip that in, in talking about the book is when I received the contract and I was writing the second book with my publisher I knew it was going to be out about possessions. Um, it's one of the biggest questions when I do speak when I speak at conferences is what do we do with what's left? And I wanted to take it a step further because if we didn't wait until they passed, we would know more about our person or our family or our legacy if there was an opportunity to talk about some of the possessions that we have. We could call it stuff and things. We could call it items that we have. And when I was sitting down to really write the book and outline it, what I realized was that I don't know if all my readers would really understand where I'm coming from if I didn't talk first about what a possession is. Because stuff and thing and hoarders and and addicts and the back of the closet, that isn't really what I was talking about. I'm talking about really what are those items that are in that box that you for some reason haven't gotten rid of or in the attic that you chose to climb that flight of stairs rather than throwing it out. What was the emotional tie or what did the what did that item bring to you that made you want to keep it? I feel that's a perfect moment for you to read a little bit uh, from the very beginning of your book, the first couple of pages that that starts with um, the definition of possessions, which, of course, uh, we might imagine we know what possessions are. Uh, but I appreciate how you how you defined it. Now, you talked about our changing relationship. Could you share a bit of that? Sure. So in chapter one, I started off after I introduced myself um, and and talked about how Rod's death, um, my husband's death, changed my thought of items. So in chapter one, to start the book off, it's titled The Meaning of Possessions and specifically the definition of possessions. Until Rod's passing, I was unaware of the true significance of a personal possession, something belonging to just you, something that doesn't have a meaning to anyone but you. The night I learned of Rod's death, I returned home from the hospital to the house we shared as a family. The realization that he was never coming home took my breath away and sent shivers up my spine. In a rage of anger, I grabbed his toothbrush and threw it violently across the room. I was so angry that he had passed, leaving me with such uncertainty. Of course, his untimely death was not his fault. As I sat on the bathroom floor crying, staring at his toothbrush, my first my mind drifted to the thought, what do I do with his toothbrush? And I chose to start the book, that chapter that way, is because I wanted it to be in the most simplest terms or the simplest visual for my readers or the people that are in my presentations to understand possessions go right down to the toothbrush. What do you do with that toothbrush? And I, I did that did touch me emotionally because some of the things that are so hard to part with are are so counterintuitive, right? They're of use, quote unquote, to no one anymore. 
and yet they they carry such power. Uh, a toothbrush, if you think about it, was in that person's mouth twice a day, you know, um, just like their words were. Uh, I I really resonated with how powerful that can be. Uh, you know, a wallet or a license or a, um, I have a few on my altar of my parents, you know, their their last driver's license, those kind of things. Uh, they can really be powerful. And I think if, if you haven't experienced a big loss, um, sometimes that is not understandable by others. And we use the example of the toothbrush, and that is somebody that is, has, has passed. But there are so many items that we have that are our possessions, and we don't really realize what they are until we want to pass on the story about someone, and then we go back to it. And as you read in the book, when I still define the possessions, I even brought it to the next level of our grandmother's smells of cooking is a form of a possession. Her cooking and the smells and what it makes you feel like isn't that part of the connection you have to that person, that legacy? And it's not only just people that pass, it's also people that are living that you want to be connected to and who they are and what they represent. Yes, and sometimes those things cross over. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you've probably read uh, Past and Present by Alison Gilbert. That's how to, how to memorialize people with stuff. Um, a little bit different gear, but but related. And um, she was talking about uh, keeping your dead parent alive to your children by doing one of their recipes um, with them and talking about that person, right? And so I was thinking, well, of course, that's also something that happens before death. You learn that recipe. You know, I taught my daughters the recipe my mother taught me and my grandmother taught her, you know, that, that, uh, that's the possession I thought of when I was reading that part of the book. Well, I do. And I do love, um, Allison's, um, all her perspectives on a lot of different ways of memorializing and keeping people alive and keeping them close to you at all times. My two pieces of this book, if I were to summarize it before we even get into our conversation, there was two goals that I was trying to reach. One was allowing you to have a connection to your loved one or your legacy for the rest of your life and to pass it on to the next generation. And the, so one is like the whole connection to what we had and what we were what we represented and what we learned, whether it's the cooking or whatever it is. But the other big piece in, in addition to that is to also tell their story. Because if we don't tell their story, how do you pass it down to generations? And when I go to people's houses or I present or I talk to them, what I share, you don't need everything to tell the story. You need the items that do tell the story. Mm. Uh, that's that that uh, resonates for me. Uh, I was telling you before we went on, and it and it comes to my mind again that, uh, you know, I had no need to get rid of anything uh, of my first wives uh, of her possessions. I, I really felt no need. In fact, I kind of spread them around the house, lived lived with them quite comfortably until I met my second wife. And um, when she came into my house, she said, wow, I feel as if I've come into a sanctuary or a memorial or something. I had no consciousness that, that the house was that impacted 
right, by um, the presence of my my first wife. And over time, uh, she didn't rush me, which uh, apparently your second husband did not either. Correct. I, I think that's key. <laughs> You know. But it's key, to, <laughs> it's key to the way we look at it to share to them of what our needs are. And mine wasn't purposeful. Like, I can't say that I consciously said that I would like to keep a shrine or I would keep this. It was just all in my heart. It was not like, yes. oh, I'm going to keep, I mean, besides the wedding ring, because I think we just keep that no matter what. And that's a given. But it's the rest of the stuff that I'm not keeping a certain something because it is, you know, 100% of I needed to define my husband Rod or anything like that. It's really because it was part of us. It was part of the story. It was part of something that I want to share in the future. Or most importantly, it gave me comfort. Yes. And, and I'm realizing I had given away some stuff like she was she collected bears, stuffed bears. I gave them all away at the memorial except for the ones for my kids. That wasn't hard. It, you kind of, there there come moments when certain things are not as difficult, don't they? Uh, well, for my readers, when you read your book, my book, the most shocking thing that I kept forever was this crib. My daughter was two when my husband died. But there are different reasons that we do. And I could never put myself in your shoes, Cheryl, to say why or why you kept something or you didn't. I really, truly believe it's an individual, you know, if we were to build a spreadsheet or take a survey, I'm not sure other than the wedding ring or a piece of jewelry that we're all having much in common of what we chose to save. Yes, but it, but you can uh, feel it in a sense. Uh, for instance, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of attached to some photographs, you know, uh, that sort of thing. But there's very little physically that I'm attached to anymore. But of course, that's a lot of years later. I, if, I think if we had a couple of hours together and we had a glass of wine and we went through your house, you would be there would be things that you are attached to in memory, but not maybe the physical. And that's the piece that I really tried to stress in the book was we're not connected to our first car because as a possession, we're connected to the memories that we had of freedom, of what that time in our lives represented, or whatever else we did with our car. So those stories are embedded, like your physical items now may have, and I do talk about this also in the book, how they evolve into something else. So maybe it evolved into a memory you shared and is no longer a physical item, as I talked about with the cooking. It's the memory and the smell that you're sharing, not the physical maybe recipe anymore. I wonder what you think about this. I noticed that uh, there's a period of grief for many people I work with who uh, where they're deathly afraid they will forget the person, which all these years later for you and I, that that seems impossible, right? How would how would that happen unless our brains went went? But um, I know that's a really common experience to be afraid of that forgetting. And I wonder if you link that with being afraid of, of getting rid of possessions. Um, it could be. That's very interesting. It could be. Um, I can't say that I totally thought about it that way. 
you know, there are so many things that happen in your transition as we mature ourselves and we age with or without our loved one. So what part of that is truly part of us aging and us, you know, being in being in the next part of our lives versus, you know, the memories that we had? For me, the hardest thing with Rod's passing and, you know, raising our daughter and, and you only remember you remember what you remember and you remember what actually happened. But in the last 20 years, as my life has moved on, I don't create new memories with him. I don't create new experiences. So there's a finite, it becomes a finite number of experiences. So I do believe that when people say that they're afraid that they're going to move away or they're going to feel a little distancing of their loved one that has passed, whomever it may be, whether it be a parent, child, grandparent, you know, spouse, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I question that with you on what happens with what happens with when there is a, a an item. So when I look at my rod box that I created of the of all the different items that I decided to save and over the years have downsized to, I wonder based on your question if I've kept those things because I didn't want to pull away from him or if I really do get a smile on my face when I see it, or it brings back a situation or time. You know, you have a very good question there, and it's I, it's really up to the to the person that's sorting through to determine, are they saving it because they want to save it? Are they saving it because there's a connection, or are they saving it because they're afraid the distance will feel greater? Excellent question. Uh, but, but I hear in that, too, that... Uh Maybe maybe I'm laying this on you, and it's not. It's more mine. But I hear in that uh, a sort of sense that um, those memories, for me, I know they've become more great, grateful, uh, um, more pleasant. Remembering certain things about our time together is it brings a very warm feeling, a very positive feeling. Um, whereas, of course, in early grief. Um, it's very painful. Um, so I, I wonder if that's in here somewhere. Let's let's talk about that a little more when we come back from our first break. And listeners, you you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Uh, there's a link to my novel there on um, right at the top of the page to check it out. And you can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And to find Rachel Kodanas, you can go to www.rachelkodanas.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private tv channel we support multiple media formats so all of your video content can be in one place we offer a number of advertising and video packages for more information visit voiceamerica.tv if you think you've seen online tv like this before let us surprise you Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress 
anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rachel Cadanas about her new book, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time, um, about how to manage stuff, basically, but also the emotional underpinning of why that's an important subject in grief and loss. And Rachel, before the break, uh, I was saying that, you know, over the years, the balance of times that I remember or sit with an object and feel uh, joy, uh, gratitude, positive emotions, even happiness, uh, that's become more prominent and the pain of loss has become less prominent. Not impossible, it still happens at moments, but uh, there's been a kind of shift in um, amount or uh, proportion. And I wonder if that is something you've experienced over over the time. Yes, and I also um, alluded to that in the book in a couple different places. So I, my experience was a sudden death. My husband walked out of work. He was 32 years old. It was arrhythmia, missed a heartbeat, couldn't recover, you know, and he just, he passed away in the parking structure of his workplace. So for me, I didn't have that last conversation. I didn't have the visual. I had the visual of him at the hospital when he, after he passed, but I didn't have the visual of being a caregiver or of being a, of watching somebody suffer. So my last memories of him were that of health and well-being and family. But with that said, going home after going home to the empty house and after everybody left after the first week, what I struggled with was the happy pictures. I had to put all the frames down on the, you know, face down because what I struggled with was I was in such pain, yet those pictures represented another part of my life of happiness. And I couldn't find the balance between them. But I do want to say that went in time when the pain softens, seeing those pictures is what gave me the strength and the energy and the happiness. 
you know, you're reminding me that at first when my wife died, and as you said, I had, a, you know, about a decade to get used to that idea in whatever way I could. Um, I was very angry at photographs because they were not her. And so because she was sick, right? Because she, it wasn't her at the end or was no, it? No, no, no. The, the pictures, she was just a, a jolly person up until right very shortly before she died, no matter how sick she was. So the pictures were all happy. But when I looked at a picture, I was only aware of the fact that it wasn't her, <laughs> if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, right at first, uh, similar to what you're describing a little bit. Uh, I was like, oh, that's nothing. That doesn't, you know, that's nothing like her human self. And and they actually made me a little bit mad. And so I put them all away for a little while, except I think I left one out so my my children would would have a picture out but over time that stopped being true at all and now they make me feel a lot of joy they're treasured no i i understand that Uh, actually in a totally different type of loss um, my father-in-law died a couple years ago and he there was you know some dementia at the end and there were all different types of lifestyles that had changed and i kept saying to my what I call my living husband, I kept saying to him, you know, give it, give it six months, give it a year, even 18 months. You won't remember the years that he was off. Um, you're not going to remember the years that he repeated the same story or things like that. What you're going to remember is all those wonderful years. And it's just, it's like magic that in, you know, as soon as that, some of that loss and pain just softens just a tad, you start to get past those really difficult days, um, towards the end of someone's life. And then that that infuses these um, objects that you associate with who they were with a lot of power, doesn't it? It does because you don't, it's a whole life. And as I shared earlier, it's about telling the story. So it's the whole life of the person, not the last couple of years. One thing that, that is at the heart of your book that I want to talk about a little bit is the idea of... Um, coming to a sense of peace, I'd almost say through this uh, deciding what to keep, what to let go of, to actively engage in that process, which, you know, every time I was going to go into another closet after my, uh, after Deb moved in, you know, and, and call another space, I knew that I was going to have to leave time for grieving. You know, it was not, it was a very emotional process. And I can see that that actually brought brought me more deeply into a sense of peace. I was thinking about that as I was reading. Um, but I think your book implies that that is um, pretty essential or at least important to finding peace with a loss. So in my eyes, and I could read a little bit of this too, but in my eyes and heart while I was writing this, The first thing we have to do is try to, and I don't like the word accept, but to understand that we have a, we had a life changing event. And so as I wrote the book, it's not just about death. I know we're on on a good grief right now, but it's not just about death. It's just also understanding that our life has changed. We have to downsize, we have to right size, or in the case that we're talking today is about sorting through someone else's belongings. So before we could even start, we have to to acknowledge that the loss or the change has occurred in our lives. And we, once we do that, then we could say, how do we find peace 
to be able to go into the closet, to go into the garage, to go into the attic. And for a lot of people, one of the hardest places is the office, you know, the home office to go in there and to start setting, going through these items. But you really do in my heart is it, if you don't find the peace, how are you going to let it go? Maybe you could share a bit from the book about that, uh, that process of, uh, uh, going towards peace. So if I were to read a little bit on the section of, in the book is why is finding peace um, so important? I'm just going to jump in the middle. I can't, it's not the very beginning. So I'm going to assume it's enough in context for you um, and for the listeners to, to get to the point of what I'm trying to share. Once the heart and mind are in sync with the concept that letting go of something does not equate to letting go of our memories the process of finding peace and sorting through personal possessions can begin. When visiting a fellow widow's home several years ago, she shared with me her husband's man room, a large bedroom located above their garage. The room showcased her husband's collection of toy cars, magazines, baseball hats, sports memorabilia, games, model airplanes, favorite books, trinkets from traveling, and so much more. This by far was the largest personal collection I have ever seen. In all my support of fellow widows, I had never experienced such a unique and meaningful array of physical items. Even without his physical presence, his possessions told a clear and vivid and personal story. They were nearly organized, they were neatly organized, documented, and perfectly displayed, showcasing the deep rooted relationship he had developed with each and every item. It was clearly his pride and joy, and I could only imagine how many happy hours he spent collecting, organizing, rereading, and tinkering around with this impressive display of passion. It was purely and simply a snapshot of him. Upon reaching her fifth anniversary milestone of his passing, this woman felt the strength to start thinning and giving away his clothing, his clo- clothing stored in their bedroom closet. When I inquired about the trigger that allowed her to start the process, she shared a motto she established for herself. If it will do good for someone else, then it was time to let it go and allow someone else to benefit from it. It was truly a win-win for both her and the item's recipients. She had not yet tackled the man room, but she continued to ask the same question as she sorted through his belongings. Not everything had to be sorted through at once, and I'm sure it will take her a while to finally go through this moment monument to her momentum to her husband nevertheless she was starting her peace process i loved being with this woman because she was so adamant about keeping his space because just because he passed didn't mean that we had to give up his space and she brought up an excellent point why can't we why can't we keep it why can't we keep it for as long as we need it You know, people push us and suggest we need to, it would help us move on. But in her case, she'd been married for so many years, spending time with her late husband in his sanctuary. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, obviously, if you're not getting out of bed and you're not going to work and you're in there (laughs) crying all the time, that's a totally different thing. But if that's your glass of wine, why not? I totally agree, assuming you have space in your house. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And she did, was above the garage, and we were there in the winter. I was, she's a, uh, I was visiting her in the winter when we were doing this, and I said, oh, my gosh, it's freezing up here. And she said, yeah, that's part of it. You come up with a blanket and a cup of tea. 
<laughs> you know, she I, I heard it. She knew I, it. She had it going on. I heard a story once about a, a woman who had lost her son, I think it was. It was one of, it was either a son or a daughter, but I think it was a st- son. And she developed a ritual of setting his place. Uh, she lived by herself then after he died, setting his place at the table. And that time, meal time, dinner time, was was time that she spent with him, with her memories, with uh, her present relationship with him. You know, it just was her ritual. And, it, and she wasn't held back in the rest of her life, but it was kind of an honoring that time. Um, I'm, I'm never that uh, disciplined, you know, <laughs> to do the same thing all the time about it. But I, but I thought it was very beautiful, actually. I always think it's when we have that connection and what we all do and we accept each other and we don't challenge each other's decisions and we say, oh, that works for them or this works for you. And, you know, and in my book, I talk about this crib and my husband's running shoes. I'm sure that any, you know, most readers that read the book say this woman was out of her mind. But you know what? Maybe I was. It didn't matter. That's what I needed at the time. And I do laugh at some of the stuff that I did back then. And I question why I did what I did, but I did. And that's the point I did. Yeah. I think, uh, the mercy of my particular grief, which, which happened because I was anticipating it for so long is that I actually didn't question anything that I wanted to do. Uh, I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, I still had to, you know, cry every day and do all these things, but I didn't question it. I just, went with it. And um, comparing that to, you know, people that maybe get caught off guard or don't spend so much time preparing as we did, it was, you know, ad infinitum. Uh, I, I think that was a real mercy to me because uh, if the shoes needed to be by the door, they needed to be by the door, you know? <laughs> it didn't, right, right. Doesn't that, doesn't that looking back make so much sense? These, these touchstones to your life together, Uh, Your daily life together. It's a great question because when I was writing the book and I was choosing to tell the stories that I chose because I didn't want it all to be about widowhood. I wanted it to be about just other losses as well. So I brought in my mom because my mom died 14 and a half years ago and I brought her in and how my four sisters responded to it and how they responded so differently to the loss. But those items and where I was at each particular phase and period of time of whether it was my child growing up or my share pain or coming out of the pain or remarriage, they're all significant. And, and very different. My parents have both died too, since, uh, since Joanne died. And, um, the way I relate to, of course, when my, when my dad died, it was my mom who, um, dealt with his things. But, uh, when she died, I, I dealt with both of their things. Um, so, and it was so remarkably different from what it was like when, when Joanne died. For a lot of reasons, right? One, because you didn't even know what half the stuff meant. Right. Or why they saved what they saved or what the meaning. In one of my chapters of the book, I really push hard about um, sorting through and thinning and rearranging and doing repurposing items before someone passes. If you can, of course, mine was a 32-year-old sudden death. So no matter how much planning we (laughs) had, we wouldn't have been prepared. But what I try to stress that is because... 
when we were cl- moving out my um, my mother-in-law's house, we found a doorknob and I looked at her and I'm like, so what is, and I was fortunate she was alive, right? And I said, what is this doorknob? She was off my grandmother's house. When they tore it down, I kept the doorknob because it meant a lot to me. We never would have gotten that story that doorknob would have gone to Goodwill had we not known that story. And I, and I really emphasize in the book is that really try to share the story and understand what the items are. And it really does help with thinning because as soon as somebody can't remember when they wore something, then they're like, it's really easy for me as a, <laughs> as a consultant to help them. Well, if you can't tell me the story, would your children remember? No. So do you think we should pass this one into the pile of getting rid of? And they're like, yeah, there's no reason to keep that yet. Here's the bottom line on that. They made the decision to let it go, not somebody else forcing them to let it go. Amen on that. Uh, One thing that's happened in my sorting of my parents' pictures is that uh, unless I'm going to uh, post it on Facebook, look at this beautiful place I'm visiting, I, I rarely take a photo that doesn't have people in it. Uh, because, uh, in sorting, they, they would have, uh, say a hundred pictures from a trip, all places that are quite recognizable. There are a million pictures of that place. It was important to them to take it, but sorting it, it has no meaning to me. Right. right. And I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, you read that in the book is what do you do? Photographs has its own little section in the book. And yes. that's the first thing I say is get rid of, especially because what's on the Internet is much better quality than anything that <laughs> right. we, 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 we right. could or did take. But whenever there's a person in it, unless the picture is representing, like when I look back at my childhood pictures and I look at my backyard that has no trees, all I can remember was swinging from the trees. So I'm wondering where the heck that picture came from, that there were no trees. But by the time we grow up, those trees did, that. you know, they grew. So unless it's representing a, a, a place in time, I say get rid of anything that's not a person, there's not a person in it. I agree with you. Yeah, they're they're not hard. They they haven't been super hard for me to get rid of either, right? You know, because um, seeing that they enjoyed a trip is meaningful, of course. But but seeing exactly what they were looking at, much less so. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're just we're just on the cusp of actually talking about your principles of thinning. I like that word thinning, and. Um, addressing objects um and so the next uh segment we only have a a minute or so in this segment left but the next segment i really want to hear your principles a little more fully or the listeners uh let the listeners since i've just read it (laughs) um a little more fully because i think um you're quite an organized person i'm not as organized a person as you but the the frame of reference uh, I found really helpful in kind of taking it down to size because sometimes it could just feel overwhelming. Even if you're willing, it can feel overwhelming. So when we get back, let's let's really focus on that um, because that's where you end up in the book, how to do this. Yeah, and that's my key word is how to do it because there's a lot of books and, and visuals and comments and all that about you should you should what you should and shouldn't do but if you're really trying to tackle it here's i'm going to give you some concrete ways of tackling it emotionally physically and keeping that one loved one with you perfect 
Let's let's go to break and we'll come back to that. And listeners, you can look for both of us during the break. I'm at weatheringgrief.com and at the Good Grief Post page. And Rachel's at rachelcadanas.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-K-O-D-A-N-A-Z.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been speaking with Rachel Cadanas, and we've been talking about loss and physical possessions and her book, Finding Finding Peace One Piece at a Time. So this segment, I really want to focus on how to do it because the first two, we've talked about the principles of kind of, I guess I would say why to do it, you know, what matters about possessions, uh, Maybe a little bit about why it's difficult to thin possessions, either our own or those that we inherit. Um, and and you have some pretty useful principles about how to go about doing it. 
So can you can you run those down a bit for me? Sure. And so as you said, in the, the book, I talk about the meaning of the possessions, and then I talk about the, how finding peace with them. And once you find peace with them, then you could begin the sort, sorting through, thinning. I like to use terms that aren't cleaning out or clearing out, because I think those have a tendency of ending a time period of your life. So I do like to use, as I said earlier, right-sizing, downsizing, thinning, sharing, the vocabulary that isn't as intense or isn't when you're somebody's emotional or somebody's trying to sort through their own emotional beliefs that they don't feel that it's threatening. And people that don't understand this process will talk about what you should and shouldn't do. Um, my favorite terms is that you and I as widows, we could talk about what we should and shouldn't do. However, and we'll accept each other's opinions because we're walking similar journeys. However, if somebody that has never experienced something of a loss or a setback and they talk about what you should and shouldn't do, we get on the defensive side and say, what are you to know? So what I try mm-hmm. to do in chapter three is to really do it one piece at a time, thus the title of the book. Um, it's not necessarily, it could be one section at a time, but it's to not take it as an overall project that you might feel is, is overwhelming to say, I have to go through these things today. I try to break it down into reasonably ways of doing it and reasonable approaches and reasonable how you can ask for help. So specifically, you were asking about the hows. And the first thing I I talk about is the 10 essentials. And these are the items, what I say, need to be in place prior or while you're getting going. And I'm going to give you an example of them. I don't need to give them all to you, but is you have to first eliminate all excuses. I did a presentation um, two weeks ago at a funeral home, and one of the women said in the audience, she had said, well, you know, I've, I'm, I haven't finished or I haven't really started because I'm trying to find the best people, not people, but best agency of what to do with my husband's belongings. And I, at the podium, because I'm doing this and I wrote a book on it, and I said, does it really matter whether or not you have the right agency or is it that you're ready to do it and somebody will benefit from it? And afterwards she came up to me and she said, you hit it spot on. I'm not ready. So the first thing you have to do if you really want to do this is you have to eliminate all excuses. Difficult, I get. The second one is you have to welcome the triggers. When you are looking for something or you Um, looking for something and you start digging through a room and all of a sudden you're throwing out some things, that's a trigger. If you want to get your car in the garage for the winter, for those of us that do have a garage or do drive, yeah, it'd be great if that could be the trigger that you want to get the car in the garage. Um, You're moving. You want to repurpose a bedroom. Those are things that welcome the triggers when they come. So you're you're using trigger uh, kind of like catalyst, that something that is causing you to make a change. That that's important because uh, trigger is used uh, probably too much in psychological um, realms fair, fair. to mean things that things that touch a trauma. Which okay. of course, because yeah. of course, this could be too. <laughs> but you're talking about what gets you going, what pulls Correct. the trigger. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. And it is usually something that you weren't expecting. 
It's really looking for something, having to move. It's just something that happens. And then I talk about prioritizing where to begin. And I usually talk about specifically about something that is less emotional. Those boxes in the garage have been down there for a long time. You probably don't even remember what's in them. You might want to keep some stuff, but if you thin them, and we're going to talk about the magic of six piles in a minute, but you could just prioritize where to begin, you know, choose a start date. But here's the, the two key pieces to the 10 essentials that I want to make sure we have time to talk about is to build your team. And while the team can be just you, I would love it if you could build a team. And for example, there's all these people that said, what could I do to help? So here's a here are ideas for a team member, somebody that is the runner or the researcher. So you want to send these, your winter coats to somewhere that is not just a Goodwill Salvation Army or, you know, the vets, you want to send it to a coat drive. That person could easily research where's the best coat drive that get, you know, and then they could go do what they need to do. That's why I call them the runner, the researcher. They drop them off. They're out of your living room. You didn't even know you were, you sorted through them yesterday. Another person is I talk about is the person that just takes care of the well-being of the team. Food. We've been working too long today. Maybe we should take a break. Let's get out in the sunshine. Somebody that is just managing us as humans. I had originally in my book, The Mommy, but not everybody has a mommy, so I had to be careful of that, is that that it was just somebody that is just watching over the well-being. And then you need somebody on your team that is, I call a little bit of a pusher, that somebody that has what it takes to be able to ask you, what does it mean? What does it represent? Do you remember the story behind it? Do you know how you want to tell the story? And it's amazing just asking somebody that is not too close to you, asking those questions, you're able to part with a lot more than you think you would be able to because there isn't a great relationship with it. But the other piece that I want to make sure we have time to talk about, it's called the what I call the elevator speech, being able to respond to people that are questioning, you know, maybe you'd get over this. There's nothing to get over. But maybe you'd be in a better place. What, what better place is there? But if you just sorted through the items, and what happens is being the recipient of those comments, you get defensive. Who loses when you get defensive? You, only you, you. Yeah. only you, right? Not the other person. So right. I suggest creating an elevator speech. So for a perfect example is for those that are listening today, they could say, oh, I listened to Cheryl Jones yesterday. She was doing a podcast and I learned about the magic of six piles and I'm working on my piles. Let me tell you that other person's going to run away. They're going to say, oh, that's great. And they're going to run away. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. So exactly. So that's I like what I-, I like what you're saying there, Rachel. You know, I still remember things that people said to me, like one of my friends said to me when I got ready to start looking for another relationship. Well, if you're going to find another relationship, you're going to have to divorce Joanne, right? Oh, so wrong. <laughs> you know, those things stick. So having a comeback, and I but- did develop a comeback in my head. And the, you know, that was sort of... Uh, she was telling me to give away my my most valuable possession, that marriage, right? What? So, um, yeah, I, I really resonate with that, having a way to come back at people if they push you in a place that, that isn't useful. But most people, not always are they pushing that's negative. Some of it is just truly out of love and concern and care. 
But right. if you have your, if you have ready to tell them where you are or what you're doing, just a two lines, just to keep down, as I said earlier, the only person that loses in a defensive situation is you. They're not going to go to bed crying. You are. So that's all I'm trying to do is just to ease it as part of my 10 essentials. But I know we're going to run out of time. So I want to. Yes, I was just about to say, I'd love for you to just uh, break down the piles for people because I it was a very helpful. There was so much choice in it. Right. Uh, In the sense that the flexibility in it. And I'd love for we have like about three minutes left. So we have about enough time to just sort of let people in on it, I guess. So I'm going to go quickly. Um, so the magic of six piles is a piece of the book that I have. And many of you might have already thought of these piles or even done these piles. But hear me out for a minute and just try to understand how important they are. So the first pile is you're going to keep. You're going to keep for yourself. And I always say if there's children under the age of 22, make sure you keep what you need to keep for them because they have no idea what they want and will want. The second pile is share. It's an item that you want to share with a family member, friend, somebody important. You've thought it through that the match of the person and the item would be perfect. The third is the donate pile. And I take it a little past um, just a clothing donation. Think of it as uh, donating an item to a silent auction, donating um, to the right cause. The, the next pile, the fourth, is you're going to sell it. And this item has some value to it, so you would like to sell it. Maybe it's on eBay. Maybe it's on Craigslist. Maybe you have your next-door kid help you sell it, but it's a sell. The fifth one is you're going to dispose of it. So it's trash. It's recycle. It's something that has no meaning. But this is the most important pile, and hopefully Cheryl and I will have a chance to talk about it, is the ponder pile. And what you're really saying is that you are not comfortable placing it in the first five piles. However, you don't want to make a decision now because you're going to derail the project. And what's going to happen is you're going to get on the couch and you're either going to drink a glass of wine or eat bonbons and your house will be a mess and you won't finish. So create the the ponder pile. I like that because, you know... To, to uh, there, there's obviously a lot of organizing tools out there these days, and most of them are uh, you have to do it all at once. You have to make decisive decisions about everything. Uh, there's even you know if it gives you joy, keep it. If it doesn't, get rid of it. You know, and it does leave out I think a grief process that tends to be slower. That tends to be. Uh, less certain and a little more confusing. Um, you know, so I like this idea that you can even not know and that doesn't have to scrap the whole thing. Well, it just doesn't make, cause, uh, it doesn't make you have to make a decision. And before we end, I just want to talk about the whole digital. There's so much. You know what? We're, we're not going to be able to do that because we ha- we're in our last minute. Okay. Well, people were, people are going to have to go read the book <laughs> because I I feel you just did a really good job about dealing with different types of of possessions that we have digital, uh, you know, physical um, and emotional possessions. What's inside of us um, that that of course we encounter in this whole process. So I hope people will go get the book. Um, especially if they want a little direction. And I really want to thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Cheryl, for having me. I always love chatting with you. You've got great insight. Wonderful. Uh, We'll have to do it more often. You can find Rachel at 
rachelcadanas.com. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.